Hey, this is Lauren. Hi, my name is Peter Dale. Hi, this is James Stoppan. And you're listening to the Bogota Writers Group podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Bogota Writers Group podcast, new short fiction from the capital of Colombia. I'm your host, Delaney Turner. On this episode, The Life and Travels of Ethan Rigglesworth by James Stoppa Hunt. James moved to Bogota at the end of July last year. Since arriving, he's been writing, climbing, sometimes teaching English, but mostly working on a plan to steal my dogs. And now, The Life and Travels of Ethan Rigglesworth. Ethan Rigglesworth was a man perhaps best described as comfortable. One might have described him with other words, but none would have truly captured the nature of the man so well. He lived in a small hamlet in the English countryside, about 20 minutes away from the nearest town with a train station, and from there an hour and a half to London. Not that Ethan made the journey often. His work had made considerations for his sickly disposition, and so he was able to work from home the majority of the year. He was only required to come into the office for his quarterly reviews, and sometimes for a client meeting when his manager hadn't fully understood the documents Ethan had sent him. So Ethan whiled his days away in his little hamlet. He had not grown up there, and the locals still regarded him with more than a modicum of suspicion. His efforts to fit in had not been successful. In a town where there was not much to do, football and drinking had become almost religious endeavours, and Ethan's talents lay in neither activity. He had tried to participate in the Sunday morning game two or three times, but his poor play had done nothing to ingratiate him with the inhabitants. Those who had been his teammates had, justifiably, blamed him for their loss, while the other team felt scorn rather than gratitude. Still, he'd been invited afterwards to the pub, but it had been there that his ostracisation truly occurred. The football is disgusted by his refusal to drink more than a single pint, and by his clear drunkenness from even this minimal consumption. As a result, Ethan had stopped trying to participate in the public life of the town. He contented himself with a passing acquaintance with the grocer and the butcher, and what was almost a friendship with the owner of the cafe, where he would sometimes go to grapple with his spreadsheets on a weekday. Mostly, though, he stayed at home. He had a modest cottage. Given his lack of expenses and generous salary, he could have lived in far greater luxury. But he wasn't a greedy man, and so he had taken what he thought was adequate for his needs and not a mite more. He had his office, his bedroom, the kitchen, and most importantly, the drawing room. The drawing room was Ethan's pride and joy. He had designed it to perfectly accommodate his needs. The armchair had been painstakingly selected, and he'd visited four different furniture stores in the surrounding area before settling on a dark green cotton option, with a very soft cushion for the base, but a sturdier back. The arms came just high enough that one might rest their elbow there to read a book more easily, but they were low enough as to allow easy access to a cup of tea resting on the small table just to the side. He placed the armchair just close enough to the fire that one would never be cold, even in winter, but nor would one become so warm as to inspire drowsiness that might lead to an accidental drifting off into sleep. Every working day, Ethan would wait for his alarm to go off at five o'clock, 
at which point he would save whatever project he was working on and go to the kitchen. He ate simply, a little meat cooked in the oven, boiled vegetables and potatoes. Others might have tired of this diet after long enough, but Ethan carried on resolutely, a steady soldier in the battle against frivolity. After he'd made his dinner, he'd sit down at the little table against the back wall of the kitchen and eat as fast as he could without getting indigestion. Then he'd wash the pots and pans, load the dishwasher, and put the kettle on. He'd wait patiently for the whistle and the click, and make his tea just the way he liked. Tea bag first, then water, followed by three healthy spoonfuls of sugar, one of his little indulgences. A splash of milk, stirring for 30 seconds, and then 30 seconds of steeping. At that point, he plucked the tea bag out and walked to the drawing room. Shoes off, slippers on, and he'd pull on the thick dressing gown that hung from the back of the door. Then Ethan would start the fire in winter, or open the window a little in summer, and settle into his chair. Then Ethan would seek the one great comfort of his life. His books. There was nothing he loved more than to delve down into the depth of any number of different kinds of stories. Detective fiction, romances, regency dramas, science fiction, fantasy. If you could name a genre, the odds were good that Ethan had not just read your favourite book from within it, but would be recommending you five others that he thought you might like related to it. Ethan would spend his evenings in this way almost every night of the year. Boss, we've got a call. Yeah, go on. There's some guy who's not been seen in a few days, apparently. You know that little hamlet, Pixworth? He's from there. Who phoned it in? Grocer. Said he's not the most popular bloke around, but he's regular enough. He'd do his shop every Monday and Thursday for the last 12 years, apparently. But he hasn't come at all this week. Grocer's worried about him. Apparently he's not the sturdiest. Sean Snellgrove sighed in the manner of a man who would fully believed that he would be spending his afternoon relaxing with a cup of tea in the office, or maybe playing some Minesweeper on his computer or discussing football with the lads. Sadly, it appeared that fate had other ideas. Alright, get the car going. We'd better go and check that the geezer's okay. Yes, boss. Colin got out of his seat, threw on his reflective jacket, and headed out of the office. Sean stayed where he was briefly, regarding his freshly brewed cup of tea with a certain resignation. He took a last wistful swig and followed Colin out of the door. The journey to the cottage didn't take them long. It was on the outskirts of the hamlet and helpfully had a sign outside which stated Ethan Rigglesworth's residence. The car was still parked in the driveway when they pulled up. Not a good sign in Sean's experience. They got out. And while Colin went to have a look in the window, Sean knocked on the front door and called out, Mr Rigglesworth, it's the police. Are you inside? There have been some concerns about your well-being and we're here to check that you're okay. Mr Rigglesworth? No answer. Colin, go have a look around the back. Make sure the door hasn't been smashed in or anything. Yes, boss. Sean liked Colin. Laconic. He himself went over to the window where Colin had been and peered inside. He saw a nice room. Iron fireplace, lots of bookcases. 
comfy-looking green armchair and a plush maroon rug on the floor. That was when he saw the thing that gave him his first distinct uneasiness about the whole scene. There was a book on the floor to the side of the armchair, wide open but facing down. It didn't seem right. Everything else was ordered and tidy. Boss, nothing out of the ordinary round the back. Right, well, have a look there, Colin. Book on the floor next to the armchair. That seemed normal to you. Doesn't seem that odd. Even though the others are put away just right. I don't like it. Let's try the door. To his surprise, it wasn't locked. Maybe this Rigglesworth guy had just never felt the need. After all, this was the English countryside. Nothing interesting happened here. Right, Colin, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have a little nosy around downstairs. You go and take a gander upstairs. If this bloke's missing, then we'll have to have forensics do a sweep of the place. So for God's sake, don't touch anything with your bare hands. Give me a shout if you find anything. Got it, boss. Sean made his way through the downstairs systematically. The first room he checked was a small office. Desk, computer, laptop, bag, books on accountancy. Didn't seem like there'd been a robbery then. He didn't know too much about computers. But the one in here looked expensive as far as he could tell. After that, he went through to the kitchen. Saucepan and a frying pan in the drying rack. He wrapped his sleeve around his hand and cracked open the dishwasher. Four plates, four sets knives and forks, four teaspoons, three mugs. Hmm. He made his way through to the living room and there was the culprit. It was on a side table next to the armchair, but positioned so that you couldn't see it from the window. The milk had curdled inside and it was only half full. He again felt a certain unease in the pit of his stomach. It didn't seem right to him. A man who seemed to make sure that everything was in just the right place didn't leave mugs of tea half drunk or books lying on the floor. He took the opportunity to examine the bookshelves that lined the room. Sean wasn't exactly a well-read man, but he enjoyed a good adventure story and he thought he might as well check to see if anything caught his eye. As luck might have it, something did. War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. Interesting title, he thought, as he fished it off the shelf. There was a battle scene on the front. Just as he was reaching into his pocket to take out his notebook and jot down the title, he saw something that was, well, a bit strange. On the corner of the scene, there was a man who just didn't seem like he belonged in the image. Sean wasn't sure about the history and what people in the military used to wear. But the battle dress of this man, he could have sworn, was a dressing gown. A little perturbed, he popped the book back on the shelf and drew another. Burmese Days by George Orwell. The cover looked right up Sean's street. Elephants bathing in a river, and at the front a woman smoking a huge cigar. But there was something funny about this too. As far as he could tell, all the people in the scene were locals apart from one. Why was that odd? he asked himself. Maybe because if there was to be a different character, it seemed odd to have them in the background, relaxing on their back in the water. Sean put the book back on the shelf, and was just crouching down to take a better look at the book on the floor, when Colin came in. Nothing out of the ordinary upstairs, boss. Well, not that unusual anyway. He's got a big world map with a bunch of countries crossed off. India, Russia, 
Seems quite adventurous. Wouldn't have guessed it. Anything down here? Not sure. Doesn't seem quite right. Like you said, seems like an organised chap, so why would he leave his tea unfinished and his book on the floor? No signs of struggle, though, so maybe he's just a weirdo. Either way, no evidence of a crime as far as I can see, so it's not our problem. We call it into missing persons, and they can get the scene examined. Alright, boss, I'll go get the car started. Before he followed Colin out, he knelt back down and read the cover of the book on the floor. 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. There was a picture on the front to go with the title. A jungle scene with lots of colours and animals, and in the centre, a little man. Snellgrove squinted. There was a little man in the centre, looking around. There was something about him that didn't seem to fit with the rest. He seemed... What was the word? He didn't seem like he fit in with the jungle around him, yet there was something about the figure that seemed quite relaxed. Maybe it was his posture. Yes, that was it. Sean was sure. He seemed comfortable. That was The Life and Travels of Ethan Rigglesworth by James Stuppond. Now let's turn to our fellow writers to find out what they thought. First up, Peter Dale. I enjoyed this story, specifically as a Brit. Um, it's obviously set in the UK, so I recognised a lot of the, the environment here. A specific thing about, about that, this is all about travelling. The guy, the, the, the title says, The Life and Travels of Ethan Rigglesworth. And the, and the travel in this sense is he's travelling to all these different countries of a map towards the end in his fantasy life or through, through, through the fiction. But I actually thought this UK that you have here is a kind of fiction. It's a kind of nostalgic UK. So I, who lived there quite a number of years ago, it seemed a lot of these references are to an old Britain that I'm not sure that exists anymore. I mean, the things like the, the grocers, the butchers, the cups of tea, the fireplaces, the friendly coppers, the doors not being locked. It seems perhaps a bit of nostalgia, even on your part, on to this England, little England that maybe doesn't exist now, or it's, or it's a pocket of England that hardly, hardly exists anymore. So, yeah, the, 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 the policemen are a bit like old-school policemen as well, the way they interact. So that, that, that struck me as a Brit who's, who's lived there. Now, coming to the story itself, I like stories that have these contrasts in different ways. So one, one contrast is the, the two halves of the story. So you've got the slow description in the first part, all telling, telling us about his, his life. And then you've got the policeman coming in suddenly, and it's a lot of dialogue, and a lot more dynamic. So I like, the, I like the contrast between the two parts of the story. And also, of course, the, the, the life and travels, that's, that's a contrast. The life being this very mundane business, and then the fantasy where he's, he's going all over the world. So as a reader or a listener, that's satisfying to have these two parts that come together and complement each other rather than cause, cause a problem for you. The double act, the, the policeman double act, I really liked. I mentioned this, this Colin laconic, it was almost an anagram, I saw that. In, well, I don't know if he did it on purpose, but it was, it, it was, it was quite funny that uh, the name Colin is almost laconic and mixed up. A few points perhaps not um, sure about were we have the Hamlet, referred to as the little hamlet or the small hamlet. Maybe it's tautology, to, to, because a hamlet is by definition small. 
The drinking the football bit, I'm not convinced about that. He seems to be a guy who is naturally a hermit, happily living by himself. So it doesn't seem to be natural to him to want to go and mix with everyone and, and drink or play football. So I'm not sure if that paragraph in the story is adding anything to the overall story. So maybe you just describe his quiet um, life of a hermit in the village and I, th I think it still works. One specific point about the book, he, he's shown to like all kinds of reading. So he, he has a list of fantasy, all different kinds of reading. Maybe this is a question I'm just saying. At the end, it's more specific about fantasy. So, so maybe it could be you just focus on certain kinds of books. That's just a quite, I haven't got a strong feeling, but it just came to me um, now, whether it be more, he has focused reading rather than just reading anything. Oh, two, two other points. Satisfying in that you've got the comfortable, that was like the craft of the story. So he starts being comfortable and in the end, comfortable comes back. So that's satisfying to wrap, like wrap it, wrap around. And the other thing, just to come back to my original point about the throwback to, I don't know, the 50s or 60s England or this nostalgia is even the language of these policemen. So have this nosy around, gander upstairs, check the geezers okay. These kind of phrases, I don't know if 25-year-olds uh, today use that kind of language, <laughs> even in England. So, I just have, so I'd be interested to know if, if you did it on purpose or it was just like accidental nostalgia. <laughs> and now for Lauren. Okay. Yeah, so I'm going to build off of Peter. I think that there's a couple things going on with that nostalgia that you're talking about. One, I think, is, in a sense, the reader of the story is experiencing the same thing as Ethan Rigglesworth, right? So you're experiencing the same kind of escapism or nostalgia that Ethan experiences when he reads. And so if it was very realistic and very true to people's lives today, which are kind of upsetting and complex and dark, <laughs> you wouldn't have that same kind of escapism, right, that you get from like the quaint Hamlet lifestyle. So I think that's one thing. But if that's the thing, maybe he should have said it in like the 50s or some other yeah. time period. I there's don't no, know. Yeah, I noticed that there's no internet as such. So there's certain, there are modern touches. I mean, he's working in this yeah. home office, which you can only do today. But there isn't obviously 21st century. There aren't many references to Netflix and things like that. Right. So like he, if, if he wanted that escapism, like maybe it would have been better to actually set it in another time period. But the other thing I think is that Ethan has made his life into his own fantasy. So there's a distinction between Ethan's life and the things that are existing outside of Ethan's life that he doesn't have control over. So to me, it makes a lot of sense for him to have his tea and his armchair and his orderly house, which is his little fantasy world that is perhaps very out of touch with the rest of the world outside of it. But if that is the logic, it doesn't make sense for, for example, the police officers to be speaking in that old fashioned way. That's not something Ethan has control over. So in general, I find the story very enjoyable, especially as a reader. <laughs> you know, I identify with Ethan and I love his armchair. I just want to sit in it and I just want to drink tea. And like, it just sounds amazing. And it's 
delightful. The details of the tea bag, like I just love the description. I love the specificity of the 30 seconds. Um, like, ooh, three spoonfuls of sugar. Like, ooh, Ethan, like so much sugar. Love that. So the ending is different from the original ending of the story. It it's more certain and more clear to the reader what happened to him. So I liked that. I liked that he was in 100 Years of Solitude, which was an actual book. I didn't totally understand the logic of him going in and out of different books because he would have had to go in and out of the books. But for me, the logic that made sense in my head was that he just went into 100 Years of Solitude and he's there. I think it's because the image on the cover is frozen. So somehow for me, it's like if he's on the cover of these other books like Burmese Days and War and Peace, it seems like he's still in the book. But we know he's not in those books anymore. Now he's in 100 Years of Solitude. So I didn't I didn't totally understand the logic of that. It didn't fully work for me. Okay, my turn. I don't have a lot to add to this. I, I did like the the distinctly English feel to it. As soon as I saw the title, I thought... Yep, that's okay. This is going to be a distinctly English rural pastoral sensibility. It reminded me a lot of a movie with Michael King called Harry Brown. Actually, I don't know if you've seen that, but just in the, the, the precision of the person's daily rituals and being very fastidious and being very clean, precise and repetitive, that those habits. I like the, the description because it says a lot about the character. I, it also reminded me as well of uh, something called the Kugelmass episode by Woody Allen. It's another short fiction from way, 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 way back about a, a man who gets transported into Madame Bovary and has an affair with Madame Bovary. Mm-hmm. And then he gets, in another adventure, gets transported into a Spanish grammar textbook and gets chased by the verb tener. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I liked, I found it a very sort of gentle story. And I think it would make a very good children's story. I think it would be, it would lend itself well to an animated take like an animated short you've got lots of opportunities for describing his armchair and the cops and all of his bookshelves and i see this as sort of a narrated story over low fidelity animations i think it's something that uh maybe the nfb the national film board of canada would do very well okay thanks very much everyone in terms of the setting i didn't want to set it in like a particular time specifically, because it wasn't meant to really be a, a real time. I mean, Peter said he, he thought that it wasn't in England that necessarily existed anymore. I'm not sure that it's really an England that's ever existed outside of, of fiction. But yeah, for, for me, this is kind of like a fictionalised England, and that's why I kind of wanted to have this, this, this image of England as it's often presented in other works of fiction and stuff like that, and that's why I didn't want to necessarily contextualise it in a particular time, because it wasn't, I was just kind of picking elements, I think, from any time that made sense. As for a couple of other things, I take your point, Peter, about maybe focusing on certain kinds of books. But I just thought if this guy is spending several hours reading every single day, he's probably going to have gotten through like a very, very broad swathe in his lifetime. Kind of my image of him is that he's somewhere in his 40s, probably. Yeah. And so he's been reading throughout his entire life, and therefore he would have got bored being within one genre. Yeah. 
I, I also take a point on the little Hamlet thing. That was just a, a something that I missed when I was going through in the edit. And the drinking and football, yeah. I kind of wanted to have that in there because to, to touch on kind of Lauren's point, the reason that I left him on the cover was to kind of make it clearer what had happened and to remove some of the ambiguity that was there from maybe the first time around. Maybe I took out slightly too much, but I couldn't think of any other way to leave in clear hints as to what's been going on without leaving him on the cover. But... I see what you mean about kind of this frozen image and therefore maybe I'd like to rework that if I go back through. But I think that one of the reasons I wanted to leave the drinking football in was because in the end he's found a place where he's comfortable where he feels like he belongs. And so I wanted to set that up as like a contrast to like how much he does not belong in this village life, in this place that he's ended up in, even though he's moved there from somewhere else where he also evidently didn't belong. Why 100 Years of Solitude? Is because we're in Colombia or is it... Um, other reason mostly because we're in Colombia okay. um, I was thinking of coming with some of them. I wanted to use also books that I thought would be recognised mm. by everyone and therefore would be more likely to like trigger people's thing of oh this doesn't necessarily make sense that right. like there's this image on the thing so I did actually look up some of the classic covers when I the, so the scenes I was describing were from classic covers so anyone who knew the book would right. know that that figured wasn't in the book right as well i think the russia india colombia thing makes sense too there are three very well-known and distinct countries that are extremely different from england so to me that was that made sense i did think that sean i mean i know he's not a well-read man but really he's never heard of war and peace yeah, okay. that's a really famous book, Sean. <laughs> well, Sean maybe needs to spend some more time reading and less time drinking tea in his <laughs> office. I think, but yeah, no, fair point. This is um, a fictional world. I mean, I like the idea of picking up on people have been talking, and when you explain the, the idea, this is a fictional world as well. So that's like another layer in the whole story. So that's so rather than it being a real, thing, yeah, fictional thing. So we're already in a fiction ourselves. So it's it's hard to get your mind around if you kind of push yourself on that in that direction. So mm. we're not we're not we're in a book ourselves. I w- I would be happy to read a whole story about Sean. Okay. I think he's a delightful character. Thank he you. was just playing some Minesweeper, and then he had to leave his cup of tea. It was really sad. So I think that, I think that's a great character. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll try and explore Sean further in, like, another thing. Um, and thank you for Danny, Delaney for your suggestion about the um, the film, ah. uh, the animated thing, because that would be something I think would be quite fun to do if I could dig out someone who was interested in that. Yeah, it's like a nice, wholesome character. That's what we saying, no, no sex, drugs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very good for a kid's story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, James. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast from the Bogota Writers Group. If you've liked what you've heard, you can check us out on Amazon. The Voices of Bogota is now in its second printing. Or if you're not that patient, you can go to Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and check us out there for your comments and questions. Our email address is way too complicated for me to give over a podcast. (laughs) So we will send one when it's better. My name is Lenny Turner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks. You're listening to the Bogota Writers Group Podcast.